I'm freezing in the studio, folks. It was 48 degrees when I woke up this morning. It finally seems like summer's over, and yet the show continues on. Welcome back, folks. Episode 121 of the Uticast, and this week, we are joined once again by our good friend from Taylor and the Cook, executive chef and owner Tim Hardiman is here uh, to chat it up with us 83 episodes after his last appearance. Also this week, we're talking about Amazon's new headquarters. We're talking about Harvey Weinstein. Gross. We're talking about Colin Kaepernick. Uh, we're talking about MBCC plus history lessons to kill a mockingbird, famous Uticans, and so much more, folks. Episode 121. We're happy you're here. show will just be done magically. I'll get really excited on a Sunday, and then Monday won't just be a ramshackled mess of visitors. It's that two and a half layout between when you get home and when you get started that I think does it to you. Yeah, because I get all worked up for it, right? Like I got, yeah, yeah I get all gassed yeah, up. Do. I like to have stuff prepared. No, I know. As soon as my husband gets home, I rush right here. So I have like no time to like get ready, just thrown into it. It's important to throw you into it sometimes. I don't want you to waste all your fresh hot takes when we're just sitting in the living room having coffee. I'd prefer you to share them with the world. Welcome back, folks. Uh, episode 121. Uh, the return after 83 episodes of my very good friend, Tim Hardiman, uh, executive chef uh, and owner of Taylor and the Cook and also Utica Bread, and he is one of my favorite people in the world. He's a good guy. Good guy. He's a, he's a great dude to talk to. Uh, always nice having him on the show. Uh, Heather, I'm sad to hear that you have a sick child that you're dealing yeah, with. He's, yeah, he's really sick today. Mm, I'm it's sorry. It's so sad. I hate when he's sick because he's so lovable, though. What's he got, fever? No, he just got a sinus thing going on. <laughs> so he can't breathe and he's irritable and everything else, so. Mm, I see. Yeah. So, so you got daddy on, on sick watch. Yeah, I'm like, you watch him now. I've had him all the time. <laughs> I love him, but you take him. I'm done. <laughs> Kevin, how about you? How was your week, man? Uh, the, it has only just begun. Here we are. The week past was all right. Yeah, sure. We, uh, we, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I meant. Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm mean, either way. Uh, the week's last week was good. Mm. This week's shaping up to be better. Ooh. Uh, oh, much ooh. better. So why is that? We'll yeah, always take why? that. Uh, I've got some days off. Oh. I don't have to go to work. It's gonna be all right. Yeah, I caught sort of a. One of those weekends where I had major stuff to do on both days of the weekend, and it mm-hmm. kind of killed my vibe for actually relaxing at any point in time. It is what it is. It happens sometimes. It's tough to have like a two-hour work event on a Sunday because it always takes up way Absolutely. longer than just two hours. I always I have a high bar for the sympathy when Sam Heather Sam will tell me he'll be like, well, you know, I've got to go in a sixth day and I've got this event and it's going to be like three hours. So my whole weekend <laughs> shot. I'm like, really, a sixth day with a three-hour event? You poor baby. How's Aww. it going to go? You're going to be all right. Listen, after work. Next I don't time, have middle schoolers though. So I to be I know, fair. Be also, next time you get home from work, if you want to take one of my three-hour grad school courses on Wednesday night after work for a couple hours after you've been home, we should just win. switch. You want to switch? <laughs> want to switch it out? Switch with me. Ooh, hey, yeah. Listen. Then we'll talk. I would have a lot of fun with Kaz. Yeah. Me and Kaz would have. 
a lot of good moments together. <laughs> Might. Um, so before we get into uh, our major topics this week, I just want to shout out real quickly, uh, GFOP Mikey Flores. You might have seen him all over the last few weeks, uh, really trying to get people on board for his Seed and Spark, uh, his film, Cold Days of Summer. He was on a few weeks ago talking about it. Congratulations to Mike. It seems like he got all his yeah. people he needed. Uh, he met his goal. Golf clap for Ooh. our GFOP, Mikey Excellent. Flores. I love him. I'm very excited he got this project off the ground. Uh, now I'm going to take a week off from talking about it because I've, <laughs> I've been like talking about him and his project a lot. That's so awesome. Though. I'm very That's proud awesome. of him. I'm very happy that he got what he needed. I'm glad we could help. So shout out to all the great uh, listeners who I apparently I owe a sandwich to, right? Didn't we, didn't we say we were going to make sandwich? Oh, we got to double check because oh, yeah. I saw a couple of those people and I think they did it wrong. I think they just like followed it on Twitter and thought that was enough. Some people did it wrong. Because they weren't listening that deeply. Those people get no sandwiches. Also, I see a lot of people making demands on the internet about what kind of sandwich they're going to get. And I don't remember when I negotiated this deal for you, my client, Sam Famolaro, saying that the winners would get to choose what kind of sandwich, let alone what kind of bread all the way down to the dressing on there. So They were serious. Yeah, yeah. We've got some. We've got some stuff to work out here. You will all get bologna on white bread with American cheese and yellow mustard in a Ziploc bag. Now I'm on the side of the people. I'm back <laughs> over with the people. You're a tyrant, and uh, uh, the people deserve better. Great politician. All my sandwiches, the best sandwiches, the best bologna. It's outrageous. Um, so let's get into this week's story. And uh, after I premiered it last week, I'm moving it right up to the top slot. We're gonna go right to the tech corner this week. Starting out with the tech corner. I'm going to start coming up with names for all our segments now. Whatever, man. Uh, so, <laughs> there's a... Uh, I don't know if anyone's been reading about this. I thought it was fascinating. Uh, major cities around the country are trying to convince Amazon to build their brand new headquarters in their city. Uh, a lot of people are calling this the Olympics of the corporate world. You ever heard anything about this at all, Heather? Do you know about I've that? heard some things about people who want them in their area and are trying to rally up to get people to have the headquarters there. Before we get into it, and I'm going to say right now, there is a list of qualifications for what's at stake here, which is a top-of-the-line uh, $5 billion investment into whatever community is the headquarters. They're going to build basically another version of the Seattle uh, Amazon uh, headquarters. Like an ex- not an exact rep- replica, but with all the same Something amenities. Equivalent. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Utica is not up for this, for all you Uticans out there. Sorry, guys. Because they're looking for very specific things. It's got to be a metropolitan area with more than a million people, business-friendly tra- uh, tax structure, international airport, major highways. We have some of those things, I suppose. Um, uh, we don't have... We're, we're working on it, right? Aren't we? <laughs> I feel like Interstate 90 is a major highway. Is oh, yeah, it not? that is, that is. Hmm. Uh, currently, there are over 100 major metropolitan cities that have already applied uh, before the deadline, uh, and they are not being particularly shy in their attempts uh, to get Amazon to show up at their city. Uh, I've seen a couple of scenarios. So in Tucson, Arizona, uh, officials uprooted a full-size 21-foot... Uh, Cigarro cactus and had and tried to have it delivered to their headquarters. <laughs> um, Birmingham, Alabama, conducted uh, constructed giant Amazon boxes and placed them all around the city like they I were. I thought being, that was cool. That was actually you know. If anyone cool. has a chance to look at pictures of that, you have to go online and look at them because they're really it's really cool. <laughs> this is the one that I think is the smartest though. In Missouri, in Kansas City, the mayor bought a thousand items online from Amazon and posted reviews for every one of them, which <laughs> seems like the smartest way to go. Um, let me ask you this question. So let's say in a theoretical world where Utica could possibly be up for this, what would we offer them to try and... Beer. S- 
beer, right? Some sort. You can't. You got the end on this brewery. You got, you got land. A, land. Land. Yeah, I guess land is land, the way to go. Piles and piles of land yeah. right within the city. That's you know warehouse, large space that you could move any kind of a business into. With a little bit of reinvestment in buildings, or at the very least, the space to rebuild. Uh, we've got space. Mm. That's Fair. one of the biggest things we can offer. Space close into the the city center of the area too. You know, you get out into like Broad Street area and all those other places and whatnot. Um, that's one of the first things you could offer. Land and central location to the rest of the state and mm. the Northeast as a whole. Jeff Bezos, call me. We'll have a discussion about that. <laughs> that's all I know about him is that his name is Jeff Bezos. I know nothing else about him. <laughs> really, they drop his name a lot. All right, let's move out of the tech corner. Uh, we sort have beaten around the bush about the Harvey Weinstein for the last few weeks. Uh, I guess I was waiting for some sort of definitive thing to happen before we talked about it. This seems like as good of a time as any. Uh, Earlier this week, the board of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences uh, voted to revoke the membership of Harvey Weinstein, uh, the Hollywood mogul who was accused of sexually harassing and assaulting women for nearly 30 years. Um, That's good. It seems like he should. No, I'm going to talk about a lot of things. Harvey Weinstein seems like a huge giant scumbag. I'm just going to get that out there uh, when we get into the nuanced stuff. To know a little bit about the Academy of Motion Pictures, though, it's actually, the board itself is just 54 people, and it's made up of all the Academy's branches, including some well-known actors, Tom Hanks, Laura Dern, Whoopi Goldberg, and this was the statement that they uh, they came out with, right? We do not simply, uh, we do not, uh, we do not so... Uh, pardon me. We do so not simply to separate ourselves from someone who does not merit the respect of his colleague, but also to send a message that the era of willful ignorance and shameful complicity, uh, complicity, yeah, complicity in and sexual predatory behavior and workplace harassment in our industry is over. I think this is all very good, but I feel like people are getting kind of wrapped up. Like we got him, the one guy who's doing this in the industry, right? I, I don't know. This seems to me like if you pass the eye test, like a lot more people should probably have gotten thrown out of the academy for this, right? Well, that seems to be the narrative everywhere I've read is, is yeah. that it's tip of the iceberg. I haven't heard. I, haven't I mean, this seen, is the first where a lot of people have come forward about the same person. Sorry. Uh, well, people have publicly. I mean, they've been making accusations against this guy for almost twenty years. You know, which is a, a big part of the problem. But like, that seems to be the notion of everything that I've seen people talking about. It, is there's so much more out there, and like. Um, that's not wrong. I gotta say, anybody who's surprised by this, mm-hmm. I, you know, bless your heart for being able to live in such a wide-eyed, innocent mm-hmm. world. Because, uh, I mean, this is the same type of thing that goes on where you accumulate great amounts of power and wealth. Exactly. And people yeah. are no longer in a position where they can, or are held accountable for anything. You know what I mean? Even somebody like Harvey Weinstein, I don't think he's gonna go to jail. He's probably not gonna no. go to jail. So, like, he'll be shamed and he'll be broken down, but, like, he's got money. He's selling his... He'll probably be all right, mm-hmm. all well, things considered, on a scale yeah. of something we think of. It'll certainly be a fall for grace for a guy like that, but, you know, what consequences are really going to happen? And that's what's really kind of the shameful part. Well, that's kind of the... I've, some of the narrative I've seen with this story uh, has been... Well, first off, there's only two people who've ever been uh, stripped of their lifetime membership. Uh, Harvey Weinstein and then a gentleman named uh, Carmine Cardini, who is a Godfather actor who was kicked out for sharing screeners, which seems kind of silly now when pretty much people give away screeners on the street in New York City for free. Uh, But the big three names that people kept throwing around is like Bill Cosby, uh, Mel Gibson, and Roman Polanski are all still in it, even though they're like, again, documented as being kind of shitty people sometimes. Um, I guess what my question is, and it seems like obvious. There's obviously going to be more people who are pulled into this because of what happened, right? There's yeah. a lot of names that are getting 
pulled around. Sure. Seen Oliver Stone out there. A lot of it, though, a lot of it gets swept right under. People will forget about Weinstein probably, I can give it another 10 days or so. Think 10 days? 100%. No, I disagree. Mm. You think so? I think it's, it's good. It's, this is big right now. And a lot of people are talking about it. I don't think this is going to just shut down. Uh, it, there might still be stuff that pops up, but it's going to be, I mean, we don't, we're not even talking about the Las Vegas shooting. That was, what, like 10 days ago? Nobody's talking about that. It's not really in the news anymore. In this news cycle, and we talk about every time we go to do the show, we're like, all of these crazy things that happen. And we're at the point, Heather, you were saying you took news off your phone. I did. There is an <laughs> overload of these headlines that come out. The stuff just gets mm-hmm. swept and people get fatigued and it's on to the next scandal. So I'm not saying it's going to go away and this is the last you've heard of the Harvey Weinstein thing, but I think mm-hmm. the... Barring some wild revelation with concrete evidence that brings down people with more famous names than his. And mm-hmm. that's the thing, too. It has to be name recognition because nobody cares if they don't know who it is. Sad truth, but that's the way that it is. Fair point. Unless you see something directly come out that says, yeah, we've got Ben Affleck on tape doing some wild stuff, you're never going to see it be... Don't they have Ben Affleck on tape? Say. Like, feeling up Hillary Barton? Isn't that been the story all this nah, week? Nah, only kind of. Kind of, really. Yeah. I mean, like, a not to downplay right, that or right. whatever it is, but, like, something... On the level of like some of those Weinstein tapes, that kind of thing. Mm. Uh, so, I was saying this. I, I saw one last thing today that I thought was kind of like, uh, you should probably just shut up. Uh, it was Woody Allen going out on uh, an interview saying that he's afraid this is going to open up a witch hunt for other directors. And it's like, Woody, just stop talking because you're probably on the short list <laughs> for people who's going to get pressed since your son uh, is one of the dudes who really got in this with Roman mm-hmm. Farrow, you know. Hollywood's been known for this kind of thing since, I mean, the, the mm. studio system in the 1920s exactly. and 1930s. Like, this is exactly how it worked, you know, and there's tons of stuff that mm. goes on. We'll never find out even 5% of it. I just think it's, and I think about it from, like, the perspective of my friends who were actors in New York, and again, I'm not trying to, like, wax poetic about these people, but I know friends of mine who were put their whole lives into being actors or screenwriters or comedians or anything, anything in this sort of motion picture arts world, right? This celebrity world. And I can sadly see a scenario where someone makes a compromise for their career to do something that, you know, that is unspeakable otherwise. And morally, you know, people make decisions all the time. A billion percent. Yeah. A billion percent. And it's gross and it's very scary, and it makes me feel bad for the people who are out there who have credibility and have, like, morality about it and who got burned down because they, you know, or, who are probably going to get shit on because they've stood up and said some things, because I feel like that's still coming, too. So, all right, let's move on to something else. Um, hey, we're going to talk briefly about sports, Heather. Are you excited? I'm really excited. <laughs> it's not really about sports. Uh, but, we again, we've talked a little bit about the kneeling down. We've talked about uh, the NFL versus Trump and all that kind of thing. We haven't talked much about Colin Kaepernick, only in passing. Um, I know, Kev, I know you, I'm a big Colin Kaepernick guy. I know you like him, too. Um, Here's a story about Colin Kaepernick uh, that's been going out today. Free agent quarterback Colin Kaepernick has filed a grievance under the NFL's collective bargaining agreement, uh, accusing the league's owners of colluding to exclude him from the NFL. Now, to put this in a sentence, it's widely believed by people who pay enough attention to it that He's being held out because of his part in the protests and his was the primary focus, the beginning point, at least what people are aiming him to be, of this social justice movement. Kev, do you think it's a good thing for him to have done this to file a grievance? Do you think he should have done it earlier, or do you think this was the right 100%. time? 100%. Put, yeah. put Goodell and all those clowns on the ground. He couldn't have filed it earlier because they weren't doing it earlier and he didn't have proof to bring a case earlier. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? If you look at the lawyer that he hired and what he's bringing, they've got at least, they must think they have at least enough to take a shot. Which is interesting. 
He yeah. doesn't just have some goon lawyer that's just firing blindly into the dark hoping they'll get some money. You know mm. what I mean? Like, he's yeah. he probably thinks he's got something. In today's day and age where, you know, people can make brash statements on Twitter and things like that and then actually be held to them because those are words that you said. Mm. You get in a world where maybe people slipped out evidence they didn't realize they slipped. Um... I say good for him. I hope he buries yeah. them all. I'm I'm well on the record of saying NFL is a trash sport. I'm not really into it anyway. <laughs> yeah, like I don't fair. I don't really mm. care anyway what happens. So yeah, I mean, take these goons down. I'd love to see him bury Goodell and that you know smug Jerry Jones and all these guys. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm glad take them down, show them, and let all let the people let the respect the flag crowd just rage and rage, and it will be hilarious. I do think that they must have some solid proof because collusion in general is something that's hard to prove, I feel like, unless you have, mm-hmm. like, how do you pl- prove collusion if there's nothing, like, conversation? Devil's Jimmy? advocate, though, because it doesn't have such a firm definition, maybe you go for mm-hmm. it because it's all about, like, painting the picture as opposed to a smoking gun. Um, I really liked this statement. This is from Kaepernick's legal team. Uh, but I really like this statement. If the NFL, as well as all professional sports leagues, is to remain a meritocracy, then principled and peaceful protest which the owners themselves made great theater uh, imitating weeks ago, which is my favorite part of that, uh, should not be punished, and athletes should not be denied employment based on partisan political provocation from the executive branch of our government, which is a very respectful way of putting that. Um, Such a precedent threatens all patriotic Americans and harkens back to our darkest days as a nation. I thought this was a very... Mm -hmm. That was great. I thought it was a good quote. And I'm just thinking about it from, like, our workplace standpoints, right? Like... You know, I work in the education sector, and again, generally most people tend to fall on one line, but you run across students, if nothing else, or other kids I go to college with, who are on the other side of the spectrum. And I don't think it should have any difference if someone, if the guy who is in class across from me has an InfoWars uh, sticker on his, like, MacBook, he obviously still deserves all the same things that I do, right? I, I just, again, I don't know how politics has any effect in your workplace, but I really feel like it shouldn't, Right. Well, of course it shouldn't. But it does, somewhere along the way. 10 billion percent does, absolutely, yeah. You ever get in a situation like that? Not in maybe this job, but any job you've ever been in? Um, I've been in a lot of situations where, yeah, yeah, as a matter of fact, I've gotten in a situation almost directly about this just a couple weeks ago Mm. with people who weren't necessarily my employers. Um, I've been lucky enough to, I've got a a friendship with a guy who, uh, I won't say the name, but is one of the, he's retired now, one of the the highest ranking man over in the Middle East for the whole time they were over there. Like, mm. top super soldier, highest you can be about being an officer, was the commander of all the forces over there. Got good friends with with this guy, and I get to talk to him relatively often. You know, we're always cordial. We have great chats. He's really interesting. He's been on Colbert Show before. Like, yeah. He's been all over. He, me, he and I are diametrically opposed about a lot of things politically. Sure. And he's a cool guy, and he's open, so, you know, he's been able to open my mind to some things, and we just talk about things with perspectives, but, like, that's the type of guy where... If he weren't so cool about it, and if I wasn't mm. able to openly like have rational discussions with people I disagree with, I could see that being a volatile situation. There are plenty, there are plenty of times working in bars and restaurants where you got to bite sure. your tongue. Where you got to bite your tongue because some customers are saying some stuff, and you know it's wrong, mm. and you know it's stupid, and you have to let it go. Can't interject yourself in situations yeah. like that. Yeah. Seems like a bad call. Trouble. Got to swallow it sometimes. That's hard for me, especially when it comes <laughs> to stuff like this. But mm. I've made an honest effort in the last bunch of years to try to get myself to disengage more easily yeah, just let I, it go. Like, I obviously am not at work. And when I own a business, I never say anything. But to bring something close up with Zach's family, his father's like a Trump supporter. Sure. So when we go over there, it's like, oh, it's hard to just be yeah. quiet. I used to just getting all out kind of like, and he was a Democrat mm. for a long mm. time. Well, well you, you had to hire people at some point in time, didn't you? Yeah, for a 
Well, yeah, every job would probably have. Obviously, do people want to know where your people probably want to know where your stances no. were? But like, no. would it no. be important to you to know that someone you hired no. now wouldn't? No, 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 no never. Shouldn't nope. come up as long as they do the job. No. There's no, there's no reason for yeah. it. You know, it's not like it's not like you're going to date them. I think it'd be different no. if you were dating them, certainly. <laughs> but it's <laughs> right. Yes. So very you've true. got a good perspective, Heather, because I've got family who um, is very much on the other side of the aisle for me. You know, mm-hmm. big Trump supporters, big you know, make America great again folks. And at a certain point, you probably made the same decision I had to make. Where you're just like, you know, what is it worth it? Yeah. Like, what good is? I'm not going to change their minds. So yeah. what am I going to do? Every time spent with this family, we're just going to argue, and it's going to be negative. We're going to lose stop. respect for each other. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just stop and talk about anything else. Because his father's wonderful, like the mm-hmm. nicest guy. But we just had to be like, all right, we have to stop talking about this. It's not going to work. It's trouble when you have to. Um, family's always tough. Like I have family who lives in the south who, like, have voted for Trump against the interests of themselves and, like, their kids who are progressives, which is something I always thought was odd, right? Classic conservative voters. Ah, it's so weird. Like, you have progressive kids who you've known were progressive and you've supported them being progressive, right? And then suddenly... And it's like, yet somehow you still made this Um, decision... Ah, it's just so weird. I'm telling you both that I'm telling everybody who's listening, the documentary, The Brainwashing of My Dad... Anybody who has any family members like this or knows anybody like this, it really, really interesting to watch, and you should huh. definitely take your time to look at it. What's that called again? It's called the brainwashing of queue. my dad. In your queue, folks. Put it in your queue. Yeah, put it in your queue. I don't, I don't even know if it's on any That's streaming fun. services. You might have to find it on the internet because I think it was still in like the release and award cycle. So I don't think it's made it to a streaming platform yet. Uh, but it's out there on the internet, and it's worth watching in today's climate, in today's world, to try to explain how these logical, rational, kind people, usually older that you know in your life, have like turned into frothing yeah, maniacs on this one I subject. I don't understand. Zach's a li- very liberal, my husband. Mm-hmm. So he And he's learned so much from his father, and he just mm-hmm. couldn't believe that this would happen. And I'm wondering, I'm like, is that going to be one of us? Are we going to turn into Could this be. when we're like 60, 70? And <laughs> Do you find that less... See, my old man, and I hate to throw him under the bus, but I have many times before he don't listen. Hi, Dad. <laughs> Big time. Uh, <laughs> Big time. Uh, you know, so wait, what's a podcast? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Big sale. Hey, good guys. Are you saying podcast? I don't uh, know what you're doing. My dad... Um, my dad is one of those kind of guys, and I feel bad saying it. I feel like he only listens to whatever the most recent argument that was thrown to him yeah. is, right? Like, if he talks to me about something, all of a sudden mm-hmm. he's, like, giving a little liberal agenda. Mm-hmm. Then if he talks to, like... One of his girlfriend's friends from Rome, who's hitting him up with some other side, he's like spouting that at me until it's like GFOP Steve Anderson, a little bit like GFOP Steve Anderson. Both sides of the story, mm-hmm. on many sides, he's on many sides. Got no convictions, no constitution. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so I was going to talk about the Boy Scouts, Heather. You brought that up, but let's save it till the second half because we have some. T- and I want to mention something. Um, we do have a special history lesson sent in from our friends. In the first segment? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a special one. It's a special <laughs> one. Is it growing? Have history lessons metastasized? <laughs> they're taking over the now. show? Uh, so this is from... Pregnant history lessons. From our good friends at Mohawk Valley Community College, uh, which is celebrating its 70th birthday this week. I don't oh, know I feel you... like a jerk. It's true. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, Mohawk Valley... Moving past it. <laughs> Mohawk Valley Community College was founded 70 years ago, uh, originally founded as the New York State Institute of Applied Arts and Science. Sciences in Utica. It's a mouthful. It is, right? It's a lot. <laughs> Established in 1946 to help train and edu- uh, educate veterans returning from World War II. Uh, the first school was in Country Day uh, was in the Country Day School, which is located on Genesee Street, New Hartford, which is the present site of the Wedgwood Apartments. I don't know exactly mm, where that is. Yeah, you do. do I? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Institute was part of a 
state educational experiment designed to provide jobs, uh, job training to returning veterans after World War II. Uh, Wait, they were taking care of returning veterans? What a crazy novel concept. (laughs) There were four other institutes, uh, New York City, (laughs) Buffalo, Binghamton, White Plains, but Utica was actually the first uh, to open, and it only had a single program, um, Retail Business Management. That was the only program they offered initially. Still going. (laughs) Uh, A couple of the courses in this program, so you get a good laugh. I like the names of them. Merchandise Display Techniques. Heather. (laughs) Better (laughs) Better selling for salespeople. Eh? Ooh, silkscreen process techniques, simplified record keeping, home furnishings, that sounds like a lot of fun, and human relations training. So there you go. That's all it took. Um, it wasn't until, uh, it wasn't until they redecorated the whole place, put a new roof on it, uh, that they started getting into the MVCC proper. It was on October 14th of that year. They opened, uh, with 53 students and 11 faculty members. Over two-thirds of them were veterans. Uh, today, they have over 90 academic programs, and they enroll about 6,000 students per year. That's so, awesome. I actually went to MV. I have an associate's degree from MV. I went to MV. Yeah, you went as well. Heather, mm-hmm. you, you said you went to H-Trip as yeah, well? Yeah, and then, yeah, hmm. I went there. Well, I'll get back to that in a second, because I want to wrap around or something. Kev, do you have any particular memories of MVCC as a student or anything about it? Yeah, tons. I liked, I, I enjoyed my time at MV um, greatly. I think that if I had been in a better position to take advantage of it there could have been even more that i gained from it but with that being said even my time spent there was really enjoyable and it's um you know sometimes community college get looked down upon and laughed at and you know it's certainly not the same thing as going to like columbia university but it's a great resource in the community i think a lot of people should take a little bit more seriously sometimes because you can definitely make really positive steps in your life at any age at mv for a hell of a lot cheaper than you're gonna pay just to go to stoniana and not go to class for three years you know what i mean so Heather, you went to H Trip. You did you enjoy your time there at all? Too much. Too much. Yeah. Well, that seems to be a running track. I actually, I actually transferred out. I didn't there. go to H Triple, and I enjoyed my time at H Triple too much as well. Actually, I, I, I don't think I went to class really when I went there. So H Trip was a fun. I school. had to leave. It, it was, was not a, a dry school. campus across the street, and we just had more fun than anything. So. Well, I guess what I'm getting at is, I think that. Community colleges in general sort of get a weird reputation, but I always said not this. Not so much anymore. I no, think I that's think changed a little. I hope so. It used to be, like, embarrassing to go say you were going to go to a community college first, and now it's... Yeah. I think our age that we were coming of age to college to was the peak of some of that attitude. You know what I mean? I think, yeah. like, the that mid-2000s is really the kind of peak of that thing, and then, you know, when the economy went in the toilet a little bit with the housing collapse, I think people's perspectives mm. got a little bit more honest. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, I enjoyed my time at MVCC. I have kids who I deal with, and we do the college prep stuff, and they're like, I don't want to go to MV, but like, blah, 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 whatever. And I'm like, listen, MVCC, much like any college in general, but particularly MVCC, I think, there's great teachers, there's great programs. The problem is, if you don't take it seriously, they're not going to force you to take it seriously. Well, and also the trick yeah. is, it's very, it's a challenge to take it seriously. Mm-hmm. That was one of my biggest struggles when I went to yeah. MVCC, is it was just like an extension of high school. Like, my life didn't change. When class started, mm. it was yes. just like, oh, I've got to go to class this week, but it was no different. I still had my car, my friends were still doing the same stuff, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden nobody was making me get up and go to school every morning. Yes. And so if you're not going to be self-directed, you know, and you don't get away from home and mm-hmm. nothing changes, and you don't have that experience of okay, now it's time to begin college, you're going to have a tough time. Mm -hmm. I'll say this. I took my MVCC associate's degree in, um, I guess it was just liberal arts, and I transferred that out to Hunter College when I was doing uh, doing my bachelor's work, and they accepted me immediately 
And they said specifically that it had to do a lot with that I fact that I had a degree from MVCC, which has a really, really reputable transfer rate in a lot of major colleges, both SUNY and CUNY, in the state and outside. So for anyone who wants to, you know, slack off MV, just be known that in the colleges, in the world of colleges, it actually is held in very high reputation. One of uh, one of our dear friends who is one of the owners of a very, very successful tech company here in town will mm. tell the story that... For computer programming, computer science, he said from MV, they'll hire a lot of people right out of the middle of their second year because the program is so strong. Whereas, like, when people go to SUNY Poly, they're like, yeah, okay, maybe we'll take a look. But at MV, they're hiring kids and paying off the rest of their education after three semesters because that's how deep the education that you get in computer science is there. My friend teaches a nursing program at MV, and Mm -hmm. she says that their classes just keep filling up and they can't even accept people, which Mm -hmm. is awesome. They actually do a lot with uh, trade programs, which I Mm -hmm. think is smart, too, to get... I think they should triple down on that. Yeah, how about it? Well, that's a that's a whole longer conversation yeah, whole that we can have, but uh, good talk. Uh, and I guess I'll say this one last thing, because um, by the time you guys hear it, it'll almost be over. They are marking their anniversary with this special event. They're calling it the Online Day of Giving. They're raising funds on their website uh, to go to the Presidential Scholarship, which is a full tuition scholarship for students in the top 10% of their graduating class. Uh, you can donate until midnight on Tuesday. Go to mbcc.edu slash day of giving. So there you go. There you go. All right, let's get into this week's interview, and um, I'm going to say it right now. Um, I I respect the hell out of Tim Hardiman. He great he, dude. He was a great dude. Loved him, and especially personally, when I got back from New York, he was super accommodating and was so uh, willing to help me out, and because he knew that I was a hard worker and knew that I could take the job seriously. He really did offer me a lot of opportunity right off the bat, and I appreciate it a lot. He's something I say yeah. about him, and I say this about a lot of people because I notice mm-hmm. when they're the type of person like this, and I think it says a lot about them. I've met Tim a bunch of times. Yeah. We know each other. We always stop and chat, and we see each other, but I don't really have any reason for him to know me mm-hmm. like yeah. that, but he still goes out of his way every time I see him. Like, hey, man, how are you? How's things going? I like people like that. Yeah. It's a good his way to be. fantastic. Oh, yeah, Melissa. It's a good way to be. Yep. Well, they just had their second child. They're celebrating the birth of their second child. Uh, so congratulations to Tim and Melissa. We will talk about that a little bit, uh, as well as we do a little bit of an exit interview because uh, I no longer work there. So I had some honest questions about my performance Ooh. as a waiter. So uh, all that and more. Give me just one second, and we'll be right back with Tim Hardiman. still sort of finding its footing. And I was like, man, I had a lot of fun interviews that I sure. did here, and I don't know if a lot of the audience got to really appreciate it yet, because we've, we've really... You didn't have the listenership that you did. We had a nice listenership, but it does feel like we're reaching more people now. Can you... Do you have any way to gauge it? I have a couple different ways to gauge you do? it. Yeah, you, you, I go Nielsen. based on... Yeah, yeah, the Nielsen ratings. They're sending me the boxes. <laughs> uh, 
No, there's a couple different ways. I can check the SoundCloud and iTunes separately. And I go to the website. You can see who like clicked yeah. on it, or there's no easy way to see every single algorithm all at once. Like I wish I had a spreadsheet. Right. Like, here's how many iTunes. Here's how many SoundCloud. Here's how many are going to the website. Here's how many are going to the app. You right. know, right. I don't know all the time. Most of the time, I notice it when we get interaction. If right. We're talking about something, and people start. Sure, and you into see it. a lot of shares. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. That's usually the best, the best algorithm I can come up with. Like right, people right. seem to be listening, so. Uh, Tim, I'm so happy that you're back. I'm Welcome. happy to be here. Uh, you, you were on, uh, and for folks you don't know, this is, of course, Tim Hardiman. He's the owner and executive chef at Taylor and the Cook, and also you do bread, you're the owner, which I feel like people sometimes don't uh, mention when they talk about Taylor with you. I don't deserve too much credit <laughs> at Utica Bread. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I own it, um, but I have a really awesome team yes, that do. does yeah. the work. So, yeah, there isn't really much to say other than I had a vision and selected some good people who, who work hard for us every day. Great product, too. It really is a great product. product. No doubt about it. And, I mean, I'm, I'm there to support them. Mm, I, sure. I don't know if... I, I, yeah, I'm sure they could... If I got hit by a city bus tomorrow, they'd, they'd, probably, they'd, they'd probably go on. I'd be but, sad. Yeah. I would say. Uh, so you were on episode 38, and so for folks, if you want to go back and hear... Oh, the, what a great episode. A great episode. <laughs> <you wanna> 38. <laughs> I'm uh, feeling like I almost feel 38 these days. I'm telling you, I'm, I am 38. 38 is a good. It's a good year. Uh, I you, feel it. All right, so let me ask you this one because my sister uh, was talking to me about this. When I turned 30, she said 29 is going to be worse than 30 because you're going to spend the entire time thinking about 30. Are you feeling that way about 39 for 40? Are you concerned at all? No, I actually like 35 was bad for me because 35 could, in theory, be you know half of yeah. half of my life. Did you only think you were making it to 70? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows, you know? I mean, I nobody never, knows I mean, how long, like, this generation is going to live, know, you know? But we definitely haven't, aren't any healthier than, than the previous generation, yeah. you know? So, you know, if our grandparents lived, you know, most of my grandparents lived to their 80s, yeah. you know? Does that mean that we will? Or will we will live longer because medicine's advancing? Or will we will live a lot less because we've polluted our bodies with, yeah. you know, ev- preservatives, ev- preservatives and, and, and alcohol and, and smog and whatever. So... 35 was like um, yeah. a really intense one for me. I got that one. I'm, I'm getting close to 32. I'm a couple months away. Okay. Uh, I've liked 30s, though. 30s are okay so far. Yeah. Uh, I think when I was a kid, 30 seemed a lot older. Now yeah. 30 is like a, the age that, you know. You know what's wild to me is when you say, when you recollect something. Yeah. And I now, actually last night I said something about when I was a child. I haven't seen that movie in about 30 years. It's weird to say and that's <laughs> wild, man. Like, I have, and I, I have a recollection of doing something about 30 years oh, ago. Yeah. And that's a long, that makes me feel older than actually 38 really is. I think of a lot of weird cultural touch points from when I was a kid, and when I think about when I must have watched them, it's crazy. Like, I saw Terminator 2 when I was a kid, and I'm like, how old was I when right, I... Why do right. I remember this? Like, it came yeah. out, like, I was too young to see this movie. <laughs> and I have, like, I have friendships yeah. that are 32, 33 years old. You know, that's pretty awesome. You want to hear a wild one? This is one that blows my mind. I'm, I grew up in, like, divorce household. So uh-huh. my parents got divorced at eight. My mom got married again, like, three, four years later. When I, you were eight? When I was eight. Okay. So... I lived with my stepdad in the house, actually, longer than I lived with my real right, dad. And right. I never thought about that until years later. I'm like, huh. Right. Wow. Didn't even give it much credit. The sure. Week, you know? But either way, uh, I wanted to say a couple things. It's been a really long time since you've been on, and there's specifically two things I wanted to mention. Okay. First off, 
Congratulations on the birth of your child, you and Melissa. I'm yeah, our second son, Asa Francis. He's he'll be six. He's six months old, like this week. Have you gotten any sleep at all? Um, I get a lot more sleep than my my oh. wife does. That's for sure. Um, you know, it's tough, but having it be your second child is a perspective that um, we didn't have. You know, sleep deprivation when you realize how yeah. how oh really God. special this first year is. It's like. Eh, I'll get through it, you know. And back when Finn was was an infant and we were sleep deprived, it was you know, it was catastrophic. Oh, yeah. You know, like oh, we would man. never sleep again. <laughs> you know, life as we know it is over. And we've gone through eight years of Finn's life, and now we know it'll settle down. It's cool, you know. I mean, it's not easy to be sleep deprived, but I also don't sleep that much anyway. That's so. fair. You you seem like you're you're at it twenty four seven. One day I'll get some sleep. <laughs> I don't know when that is. But. So before we get too much farther, I wanted to present you with this, since this is your second time here on the show. Do, 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 do. You are now a member of the infamous Uticast Two-Timers Club. The winner's circle. <laughs> exactly. Should I, should I try to describe this for the listener? Oh, we've t- many people have I've talked about it. It's, uh, it's I'm gonna, wonderful. I'm going to insta it later. I so. love it. <laughs> so for, for those of you who may not uh, have picked this up, uh, Tim was my former boss at uh, at Taylor the Cook for a while. I was working underneath you, and I had quite one question before we get into that. Were there any other names? I was always curious if there were any other names that were thrown around before Taylor and the Cook that you guys sort of. Oh my gosh, <laughs> um, there were so many names. So as you know, it's it's Chris and I, yeah. and then of course Tracy Talgo and yeah. my wife Melissa. Um, naming that thing was one of the hardest things we've I mean we got to a point where you know construction and everything was moved along in such a fashion that like we needed and yeah. we must have a name we needed Facebook we needed a website and uh, you know it actually so there were a lot oh, yeah. of really terrible names I think one of the the ones that was <laughs> the black walnut the black walnut and that sounds like a cigar bar <laughs> it does. So, you know like you see a bunch of old men there but um, there was one night we sat down on the picnic table um, at Nail Creek with a bottle of Jameson, and we didn't get up until the restaurant was named The Taylor and the Cook. Oh, That's amazing. Though. I think we might have slept upstairs that night. <laughs> Where did you get the... Well, I know the, the store itself had a, has a history as a tailor shop. Yeah, UTK Taylor. Yeah. yeah. We actually... Uh, you know, the construction's going on next door? Yeah. Um, they unearthed a floorboard oh, yeah. that was part of the original UTK Taylor sign yeah. um, that That's somehow awesome. got moved from 94 into uh, 96 and became part of the floor. <laughs> How's that? Has it affected you at all with the construction next door? Have you noticed it? Oh, yeah. it's hard not to Hard not to, I was going to say. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. That is going to be a major step in the right direction in Bag Square, you know, so we can deal with, you know, construction can be tiring, you know, but when it's done... Now we've got a storefront that looks about 10,000 times better than it did, and Vinny Fici is the owner of that, and yeah. he's done a great job with it. You guys have been right around this whole movement around this Bag Square area, and it's really, it's really something. Um, do you... I, I, we don't have to get into this. I never really asked you about this. Has this affected your thoughts on whether or not you want like a downtown hospital? Does it think, ever come up to your things? Or we don't have to talk about that at all. We've, of course, it. Yeah. You know, I mean, the downtown hospital is a very real conversation. Sure, I you know, would. You know. It's it's there, and mm-hmm. I I 
And I tell you this with all honesty, I, I still haven't made a decision. I've been, I'm with you, man, because every time I've talked to somebody, I'm like, if you give me an argument one way or the other, I'll listen to it, because I'm really sort of kind of, yep. uh, you know, I want there to be something, like sure. some development, sure. right? There needs to be something through yeah. there. There's yeah, no doubt about for it. for sure. There are a bunch of beautiful buildings, uh -huh. um, and if the hospital goes forward, you know, those are losses that hurt, you know, but then again, what has the last 10 years done over there? Exactly. You know? and, and what is the... What is the plan for development other than the hospital? You know, so I just well, uh, there's. The thing. I feel like but I boy, what a contentious fight! I mean, it's it's getting it's going to get. You think it's bad now? I oh mean, no, it's, it's going to get worse. There's going to be you know they're putting people up for common council <laughs> and and I mean it's going to be a real knockdown drag out sort of a thing. But then again, that's a pretty significant investment in in the infrastructure of downtown Utica. That type of dollars isn't just coming from. For years, yeah. Kevin and I would drive down. Um, Lafayette and Columbia in these streets and we would say and I, I feel like I the DMZ like, yeah it's it's really some of the worst part of Utica and that's disrespectful to say like the DMZ yeah. because the, the, you know it's part of downtown yeah but it doesn't feel it's always felt like this ever since I was old enough to notice it I'm like what could you possibly do to fix to get people down here right even if you put a store down here are sure. people going to come down here for one it's got to be something great you know I mean it like, doesn't really have that th that section you know Columbia uh, well, from Columbia and, and Lafayette, yeah. you know, over to Court, mm. it doesn't really have, like, a neighborhood feel. No. So, like, the Bag Square, we have a neighborhood feel. Yes. You know, Varick Street exactly. and the Brewery District has a neighborhood. Walkability. You know? yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, and up in, in, in you know, in, in South Utica, you oh. know, the, 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 these neighborhoods are, the, the like, these epicenters that seem to be ripe for development. That right there doesn't have that feel to it. You know, you're, you're so close to a Riskany Boulevard, and, and, you know, it's not that it's not prime location, because it really is. Yeah. But it just doesn't have a feel of, of something where you're going to see developers popping up. I don't know. I, I I only know one neighborhood, and that's Bag Square. I think that was pretty nuanced combo for us. To not, we didn't take sides. It was good. Totally. Good. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> and, and, I mean, the, the, the polls are pulling yeah, yeah. At, at especially all those of us that are business owners yeah, down exactly. there. You know, everybody wants us to weigh in. And, yeah, it's, and, I didn't even think about that. You're probably, mm, interesting. I just, you know, I'm still in the middle and, and present to me, a, a, you know, and there's smarter people than me involved in this thing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know? and, and it's sometimes it's hard to pull your head out of the, the rabbit hole. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty busy. I, I'd say, how can you not to a certain extent? Right. Speaking of which, that's probably why I'm still on the email chain and I keep getting emails about whether or not I should send you my direct deposit information. <laughs> I keep thinking about doing it. I'm like, Maybe should I, I take you off there? I, okay, I will. You know what? I've kind of actually, I sort of makes me feel good in the inside. I think Chris Mandry told me he's still on the chain too. That's fine. Um, so I need to ask you something. You can be honest with me in hindsight. Um, I felt like when I was there working at the restaurant that I never felt comfortable as a waiter there. I never okay. felt like, a, was I a bad waiter? Are we get, we're getting into some real, like. <laughs> yeah, you can tell me. I don't mind. Should we move to the couch? <laughs> this, is a casting, this is the casting couch. I'm going to lay my head on <laughs> you, you remained in, 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 in employment, did you not? I did remain in employment, okay. so I didn't do too. Some, some folks have not. That's <laughs> true. Know? So. Yeah, I thought you did a great job. You know, you had you had New York City experience, and people enjoyed you. And and my you know. uh, here's my thing. I think you have a particular presence. I don't mean like an unnerving presence. You, but you are so passionate about the job that my big concern was always like, I just don't want to let you down because you put so much yeah. of yourself into it that like the last thing I wanted to do was go out there and do something like. Samish. My wife like, says it's that I'm intimidating, and I try really hard not to be because I don't like you know I'm actually a pretty fun, oh, loving yeah. guy yeah. you know like I really do enjoy 
um, hospitality and the restaurant industry, and I like to have a good time, and I like to crack jokes, but I do take it really, really seriously. I mean, it really, truly is my my calling. And mm-hmm. there's so you know, there's some people, a lot of people who are in hospitality that it's just a stepping stone. For exactly. Them. And sometimes I feel the need to maybe potentially over exert myself yeah. Yeah. In, in my professionality of mm-hmm. it because it is my it's my life's work. You know, I I, I I I may not own the tailor and the cook forever, but I I don't see myself being outside of the hospitality industry. You know, so that is my life's work, and so I yeah I take it really I seriously. Don't, I don't think I, I wouldn't call it that you have like an intimidating presence. I think it really does well, come from the fact that people like it's just so obvious how much it all means to you and how important it is and it's not just a job you work at, it's this thing you built and no one really ever wanted to let you down on right. the job, right? And right. I think that was a respect thing more than a like, oh I'm terrified. However and, and but you know, the flip side is I don't want to let anybody who who is yeah. in my employ down sure. either. Right. You know, I can't no, do what I do like without yeah. the without the staff. And I mean, we are what we are, and we've gained the you know the the momentum that we have at the Taylor and the Cook because of the teams that we've had you know for six years. And while we're on that subject, I'm very curious. Um, you know, I've had a lot of people from Taylor on the show before. Joe's been on. Yeah. Uh, Vince was on before he, yeah. he yeah. got to do his thing. What do you do to main? How do you maintain that same level of like quality and professionalism when you have to deal with the natural staff turnover that happens in restaurants? Yeah, turnover is a, a part of the yeah. hospitality industry. Mm. Um, consistency yeah. is key in a restaurant, or I think any business, but. Um, to me, you know, that's what I focus on. You you have to establish parameters and train on them. Yeah. So you train, you know, I can't do everything myself, so I train management sure. to look at things as, as I do. They are free to have their own creative license, mm. but they have to live inside the box that is the tailor and the cook. And and there is a definition to the tailor and the cook, you know, um, in especially in the sense of cuisine and, and, and you know, vibe. But that doesn't mean that it's the same each time you come in. Consistency is not um, complacency, you know, or it's not, you know, repetition. Consistency is just a, a, a form of measurement that, that people can gauge their experience sure. by. So it's just a matter of, of training people. It, they have to be the right people. They have to take pride in what they do. Mm-hmm. And if, they, if, if, that's, if they're... If their measurement of pride and the work that they produce is is different than mine, that does not make them a bad person. Right. But it does make them a bad fit for the tailor and the cook. Mm-hmm. And and thankfully, we you know, I guess the screening process or the people that just come forward to to be a part of what we do, um, we don't have too many you know failures. Yeah. Failure is a really strong word, but we yeah. don't have any. We don't have too many people that that really yeah. yeah. We really don't. Do you have to scout chefs? Because the waiting is one thing. People, a lot of waiters around. It's not a knock. I've waited for many years. It's a hard profession, but a lot more waiters than there are chefs. Do you ever get to like a point where you see chefs and you're like, hmm, that guy's pretty good. One of these days, I'll keep him on a list. Do you mean like you have like there a are list? people, yeah, yeah, who who you know, there's a lot of good cooks in this city. There's yes, no there doubt is. about it. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I am fortunate to have had quite a few of them come through under under me and the tailor and the cook, and I've learned a lot from a lot of people. You know, so. Yeah, you know, you're always keeping your eyes open, and and you know, I feel like I I am perpetually interviewing or, or hiring, but that's the nature <laughs> that's of the business, yeah. you know. And and I think my turnover is a little bit lower than the industry norm, but not much. 
Well, you, you it's do, hard. It's you hard treat, work. It so. is hard work, but you do treat the staff well. And it was a there was a certain level of camaraderie there that I got accustomed yeah. to. It was a great staff, and everybody from the chefs to the barbacks to the waiters to the bartenders, everyone, even the folks in the back, the dishwashers, it was this real feeling that you were doing something together, and it was nice. And even when it would be busy and you get stressed out on the job, I'd always look forward to those times at the end of the night sure. when everyone was yeah. slowing down and you could be relaxed with part of the team. You gotta want to be there. You gotta like yeah. it. You know, otherwise, uh, there's other things you can do to. I'll tell you what. Right now, if I had to go back today, I wouldn't be able to do it. I'd have to. I'd have to go back to training. I'm so, so. I'm so used to. Doing All right, you're it. coming off the email list. Coming off the email list. <laughs> so I, I think I'm correct with this. You were talking about this even when I was there. Are we? You guys are now six days a week now. We sure yeah. are. How's that transition been so far? Is it was it smooth? You feel good about it now? It was or? a smooth transition. I have to remind myself how long it takes to become a part of, you know, someone's mentality. Yeah. Um, we were four days a week for five years, hmm. so the Mondays and Tuesdays have been uh, hit and miss. Yeah. Um, some Mondays and Tuesdays we will be jamming, and then other times it's like crickets, you know, and. Um, but it takes a while, you know, I can't expect it. We've been doing this for six months, uh, on top of five yeah. years at another schedule, you know? And, and so, you know, we do the best on Mondays and Tuesdays with the, the traveling crowd, the business people sure. in the hotels, because they didn't know that we weren't, you know, they didn't know what our hours were before, but boy, it's really hard to get ourselves into that psyche of the locals, you know? And, and, uh, so I'm working on it. This might be a silly question, uh, but with going to six days a week, does this mean, I, I assume it means one of two things, either A, you're there more than you used to be, or B, you've had to elicit a little bit more control to people outside of yourself and sort of trust other people to be there when you're not. And I assume it's probably one of those two. Both. Both. Yeah. I had already started to um, give a little bit of, give a little more trust sure. to some of my management. And that's that's a learning experience for right. me, and it's something that you have to do, you know, as a, as a restaurateur. You can't be in one place, in, in multiple places in one time. But when we opened Utica Bread, I had to really put a lot of, of faith in other people so that I could focus on the opening of a new business. Yeah. After Utica Bread was up and running, I returned my focus to the tailor and the cook, but then the next phase was you know, six days. And, and, uh, now it's, it's, um, it's really easy for me to, I, I don't know if I want to say easy, but I do take a couple nights off. Yeah. I, I, I try to go home for dinner with the family on, on, uh, at least one or two nights a week. Let me ask you this. The other thing you were really, we were really getting into, especially right around the time that I was transitioning out, you know, you've been a huge advocate for this New York state wine initiative. You've really built up this menu uh, has have people latched onto it? Do you feel like it's getting popular? Uh, are people sort of coming around to the idea now? It's a slow curve. Yeah. Um, I am. There's probably not anything that I'm more passionate about today in in my business structure than than the New York State Wine Program. Yeah. Um, but sales aren't where they need to be. Mm -hmm. um, but we've got a lot of work to do. You know, you don't. I'm not going to blame the market yeah. for the sales being less than what they should be. I blame myself for for you know. So basically, we had to curate it. Yeah. So now that I've got 22 producers and and you know uh, two pages of a really nice New York State wine list, 
Now it's time for me, now that I have something that people will want, now it's time for me to market it and yeah. train on it and educate people. And, and because there's such this, this stigma of, of New York State wine being, you know, mm-hmm. less than. And what we really have at the Taylor and the Cook is probably one of the most world-class selections of mm-hmm. New York State wine. And I'm really stoked about it, but we've got to start. So we're going to do some really intense staff training. Um, which will help, and then we're going to do some marketing. Do you think, to a certain extent, that the biggest hurdle there is the preconceived notion of what a New York State wine? Yeah, is? Ab- I, without I, yeah. a doubt, without a, especially a New York State yeah. red wine. Yeah, exactly. You know, so <laughs> I mean, if you really look at the wine industry in New York State, it's it's a uh, you know it's maybe a early teenager, mm-hmm. in the, if you want to equate it to the life of a, of, a, of a human. You know, mm-hmm. um, the the wine industry began, you know in the late 1800s in the Finger Lakes, but it didn't really develop into anything of, of, of major importance until, you know, the 70s, yeah. 60s, 70s. And, and there's a lot of bad wine produced. Yeah. Uh, but since, you know, get, let's say, give or take, since, you know, 95 or 2000, uh, a real sea change has started to happen. And there's some really quality wine. There's some world-class wines coming out of the Finger Lakes in Long Island. Um and now it's just a matter of changing that yeah, that perception. Exactly. And it'll happen. It totally will. I mean, it's happening on a world stage. You got people mm. from other parts of the world paying attention to what's being produced out of New York State. But it's interesting the people that are the closest to it are the ones that are the last to, to really Didn't hop on. did you say like one of the major like wine magazines just got like a finger? They all do. Yeah, they all They yeah. all have yeah. coverage in the finger like So now. I think it's probably you're, you're getting it you're getting into a transition period sure. too, probably. And that's probably and that's what I always appreciate about like talking to you about food and wine and stuff, is you do try to be out ahead of like the curve a little bit. You always have these interesting I used to love when you would do the pre mails because I would love hearing you just Tell me facts about stuff I yeah, never yeah. heard about. It's great. I could watch a TV show. I just about stand it. there and pontificate about food and <laughs> booze and it's most great. of this. I'm, I'm glad to hear you like that. Is there a current like particular ingredient that you're like obsessed with that you've been using lately? Anything particular? Well, we're moving into fall. Sure. And fall is a really great time to be a cook. So I don't want to. You know, I'm not going to like focus in on on a, a particular ingredient because mm-hmm. that's really limiting. But just a. Sure. Uh, it's a vibe mm. that starting to cook with the squashes and the storage vegetables, the root vegetables, and, and you know, but we're still really hanging on, especially the way that things have gone this summer, we're still really hanging on to, uh, uh, you know, I'm still still bringing in tomatoes, mm-hmm. you know, there's still beans coming in, and, and, and so that's why fall in central New York is so great, because, you know, we're really at the peak harvest right now, and it's October, um, so the... Uh, an ingredient? No, but a, a style. You know, we're gonna start braising more nice. meats. You know, we're gonna we're gonna bring in some of those warm spices, and we're gonna start using more squashes and mm-hmm. and uh, um, you know rutabaga and parsnip and and things. As the weather gets colder, food becomes a really textural comfort. Not to say that it's not throughout the spring and summer, but it's different in in the fall. You know, you're you're. You're wearing a sweater and you're you're hunkering down and you know what's to come and and uh, I just love I love cooking in the fall. It's my favorite season to cook in. I don't know if we ever talked about it in the first episode, but uh, I'm gonna ask anyway. Was there ever like a moment you went back and like? Because I always remember this is gonna sound silly. The first time I paid attention to like cooking on like TV or looked for food was like I remember watching the old Iron Chefs. It's so stupid. Yeah. But like I love those shows. Oh yeah. Did you have like a moment early on where you? Like I'm kind of interested in this as a lifestyle. 
Well, you had your your father was into. I grew up in this business. Yeah, so I I don't I don't have that aha moment because I was predisposed to it, you know, and then that's. but food was a, you know, I always was, you know, I, I was always interested in it. Yeah. And, and, you know, whether it was flipping eggs at my dad's place or, 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 you know, cooking with my grandfather or something. But, you know, I don't have an aha moment because it didn't come to me like from outside of my, my sure. world. Yeah. You know, it was, I was born and raised in it. What would you say is probably the most popular thing at the Taylor at this particular moment? Still the cheese plate, I feel like. New York State cheese board. Cheese you know, board it's, uh, it's so good. And <laughs> part of me is, you know, kind of remiss mm. about that. But be, because we don't really cook too much on there, you know, right. well, we do make some, you know, we make our own crackers. Yeah, and that's excellent. a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we pickle everything that lands on there. But we curate this, mm-hmm. you know. We find the cheeses. I find the cheeses and work with, you know, producers. And that, to me, is, is you know, people love it. And it oh, yeah. provides the most... It's a really accessible path to producers and farmers and, and, and all of this great agriculture and, and things that are happening in New York State. So yeah. the cheese board is, the, is kind of like the... the, the the springboard for people to mm. get interested in what's really local, and so, yeah, it's it tremendously was, popular. It's, it's one of the best. It's really, it's a different level of cheese board. I'm Italian, grew up in a house where a cheese board was like we're gonna slice up some cheese with some pepperoni with crackers. Right, right, right. This right, is right, 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 <laughs> like so. I, I loved it. It's it's one of my favorite items still. And I have to say, you, I always love the specials you guys come up with. And I, I guess that I guess my question is for you, like when you're coming up with ideas. Do you like crowdsource with the chefs you have there? Do you just look for inspiration and in, around everywhere? You, I'm always curious. Is it like music where you take inspiration from just little things you see? I think you take inspiration from all over. I yeah. can I can't speak for you know uh, uh, my other guys, but so for me, I'm always reading. Yeah. So you know, and and I mean to to say that I've created a dish mm-hmm. is is total bullshit. Sure. It doesn't happen. <laughs> you know, like I'm just taking ideas. Mm. And, you know, I'll read about something. And, and, you know, today I was talking to Cody, who's my chef de cuisine, right oh, before yeah. I came Welcome. here. And, and uh, you know, we we're talking about a feature for tonight where we're going to use some base scallops, really tiny, mm. sweet scallops. And, and it's just, for me, it's like hopscotch, you know. So base scallops yeah. are sweet. And so what is, what's, what's the first thing that hits my, my mind is, is today is butternut squash. Oh. All right, so butternut squash and these scallops are going to work well. And then, you know, we... we just bouncing ideas and, yeah. and, you know, whether it be a texture or a flavor or, or, you know, a bitterness component. And so you bounce things back and forth and that's how it builds for me. Um, but then other times it's like, you want to, you want to play, you want to riff off of a, of a dish, you know, a, a French cassoulet yeah. or a, a paella, or you want to riff off some homestyle cuisine, like, you know, tuna noodle casserole or something, you know, so that's, that's that. But for us, it's mostly in, ingredient driven. So, you know, most dishes at the Taylor and the Cook really evolve from a vegetable. Yeah. Even if there's a duck breast mm-hmm. or a pork shoulder on there, it's really, it kind of evolved from the vegetable. It's a very vegetable-driven style of cooking, I think. Yeah. You know, because that's that's what we're all about, seasonality, you know. So, uh, you, you six days a week, you've expanded outward. Yeah. What's coming up forward? You have plans moving forward now, yeah. pushing the wine forward. What's coming? Well, up? we got some big stuff happening, and actually, this would be my first um, uh, public oh. decree. Breaking news. Decree is that a word? I love it. Decree. Yeah. Decree. Um, 
We are going to be closed uh, for three days uh, in November. I think it's the 12th, 13th, 13th, 14th, and 15th. We're going to close uh, for three days, and we're going to do some, well, the most significant remodel that we've really? done since we opened six years mm. ago. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it pretty vague yeah. for the listener, but uh, we're going to reopen on Thursday, the 16th of November, after just a short break. Um, and uh, there's going to be some cool, you know, it's not going to be a whole new restaurant. Sure. It is going to be well, the beautiful. tailor and the cook. But we and 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 I love the space. And and you can only make something so much better. But there are going to be some really fun and interesting twists with regard to the the ambiance. Yeah. Um, a couple of new ideas with uh, cuisine. Um, we we're still really trying to educate people on our, our chef's tasting menu, which we offer six nights a week. Awesome. And then you know, yeah, the real big push of marketing and, and focus for for 2018 is going to be New York State wines, and really hopefully start to turn some people on. Tim, I have a few quick last questions here for you. The lightning okay. round. Okay. Well, not yet. Oh, okay. Gonna, a couple of things I needed to discuss with you before we get to the lightning round. Uh, first, you know, again, congratulations, another kid. Do you feel? How do you feel? What's some advice you can give for our listeners out there to sort of keep that work-life balance in check? Do you feel like... I have no idea. (laughs) If you want to talk about work-life balance, I am not the person to talk to. Call my wife. Uh, And I saw this on your Facebook page, and I wanted to bring it up to you because I was shocked because I don't know how many people are excited about this. I had no idea you loved the movie Clue so much. Oh, it's in my top three. It's in my top three. And it's, they're showing it at the marquee <laughs> tomorrow and Wednesday. I am so excited. I said to my wife, we're going on a date. And she was like, oh, we're going on a date. And then I said, Clue. And she's like, okay, yeah, we'll go. <laughs> so I'm not that much like younger than you. We're sort of the same generation. Right. I'm, I'm old like, enough. I'm a little bit older. Little than bit older. So generally people that fall under my age don't, don't get Clue. Clue was on Comedy Central all the time when I was in that oh, yeah? like age growing up, they would play it like in the early eras of Comedy Central when it was like Saturday Night Live reruns yeah, and yeah. Kids in the Hall yeah, and just yeah. the movie. And it was always Clue. And I must have seen Clue about 50 times when I was a kid. I loved Tim Curry. I thought oh, he was yeah. the man. It's Tim Curry at his best. Are you, uh, did you go see It? Did you see the new It movie? I haven't seen it yet, yeah, no. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. All right, so let's get into these lightning round all questions. Right. I know you have stuff to do still today. Uh, Tim, these are the same questions we've asked everybody who's been on the show for the last 40 or some odd episodes. I can't remember when. Uh, so let's start off with this one, since it's uh, right up in your wheelhouse. If you could have dinner with any person, living or dead, who is not your family, who would it be and why? Who is not my family. Not your family. Living or dead. Hmm. Uh, you know, it's supposed to be lightning, so I'm supposed to answer no, it's quickly. Okay. Huh? It's you okay. can edit that out. <laughs> Uh, no, it's natural otherwise. I guess. They're all my family. You know, those are the people. Um, well, I'd like to have dinner with Paul Sorgel. Mm. He's alive. I could call him tomorrow, <laughs> and it's just a short drive. But uh, he, he's become a real muse and mentor of mine. He was a, a professor of mine uh, at Paul Smith College, oh, and yeah. uh, he was the dean of hospitality. He's since moved on, and we keep in touch. And I, I actually was in touch with him the other day, but I've got a couple of things that um, I want to talk to him about, and so that just popped into my head. Oh, Beyond that, I'd like to have, I'd like to have dinner with uh, Chef Dan Barber, who is my uh, – he's my he's – my, uh, I don't know. It's kind of yeah. No, no, because don't I have to talk to him if I he's my muse? Yeah. Well, yeah. he's like a he's like a he's a pantheon guy. Yeah, you, yeah. You, meet him. you 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 have to have people that you aspire to okay. to you know emulate. Although I've heard 
you should never meet these people because I'm I'm like I emulate Mark Maron all the time. I feel like if I meet him, I'm gonna be like, oh, he's gonna hate my guts. I'm right, right, right. <laughs> I've been ripping you off for twenty I've been years. Ripping you off for three years now. I'm yeah. so sorry about this. Um, this is my favorite question to ask, and I'm always curious about this. You know, you are such an excellent chef, and you're around food all the time. But when you go home, what do you what do you cook at home for yourself? Um, Melissa cooks a lot. Cooks a lot at home. Um, we go out a lot. Yeah. You know, yeah. like burgers. Really? We, we I just, love that. Because, um, <laughs> you know, we don't. But um, we keep things pretty simple. Uh, at home, we have yeah. been trying to eat fairly low carb, believe uh, it or not. Um, my sister just jumped on the no carbs thing. She not no carb, just low there. carb. You know, a lot of grilled proteins, fish and, and meat um, and good vegetables. Um, but wintertime, you know, probably at least two Sundays a month, Melissa and I will cook soups or yeah. stews and freeze them in quarts. Um, that's a big thing, you know. Um, breakfasts are epic in our house. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I can imagine. They're not at 7 a.m., though. They're like noon usually yeah. on the weekends. Sunday breakfast is late in the day, and, and uh, you know, we spend a lot of time. That's our favorite meal of the day, and, and uh, we do eat it's a lot of peanut butter and jelly, too. It's the best meal of the day. To be it honest. is the best meal of the day. I like a good breakfast later on in the day, on right. your random day right. off, which doesn't happen as much as I'd like to anymore. Me either. Uh, let me ask you this question. I'm a big game show guy. I don't know if you grew up watching game shows, but if you I had did. to go on a game show, which game show do you feel like you would be the most successful on? Uh, I don't even know the name of it, but I used to watch a lot. No Whammies, No Whammies. Oh, that is... Um, oh, God. Everyone says that one. I can never remember the name. It's, Does uh, other people say that? Everyone says that one. It's a great one. And Why don't I know the name of it? Nobody knows the name. All they know is it's the No Whammies show. It's yeah. Press Your Luck. Press Your Luck. Press Your yeah. Luck. That's or, a good one. But I'd also, I, I would fare pretty well on Jeopardy. I probably wouldn't win more than one night, and it would also depend on, but I would. Any, I, yeah, I used to, Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. luck of the draw. But I used to, when, when, uh, when I lived with my mom, I was home in, like, high school, yeah. we would, like, keep track of a, try to keep score. And, yeah. like, I, would, I could do pretty well in Jeopardy. And I, I do really well in Teen Jeopardy. Oh yeah, for if, sure. like, but I was I'm 38. I thought yeah. <laughs> I thought Millionaire was actually I would watch used to watch Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. See, by that time I had really I haven't really actively watched television in 20 I mean, years. I don't and, have and, cable anymore. Yeah, I'm doing right. the, the cord cutting thing. Yeah, I'm I'm technically a millennial. I guess you're technically we're all technically millennials. No, I think I my wife just looked it up because she I, I neither one of we were talking the other day and we didn't know what the like no one, strict definition yeah. of, but uh, 1982. I'm 86, so... I guess so you I'm are a millennial. Cusp, yeah. I was born in 79, so I'm not quite a millennial. I remember the pre-internet era, though, so I'm always sort of like a gem. Like, yeah, but I remember calling people's phones and knowing yeah. phone numbers yeah. and, like... Knowing what life was without a without a phone. Reading a book. Yeah. You know, that was nice. Um, and last but not least, give me one book, album, movie, or show you are currently reading, listening to, or watching. You know, I uh, just got a, a copy of vinyl of... Uh, Greg Allman's, uh, I think, so he was, you know, the Allman Brothers, he recently passed away, so is the phrase posthumous, yes. released after yeah. his death? Yeah. Um, this is an album that he recorded knowing full well that he, his life was, you know, terminal, mm -hmm. and it's a really incredible piece of music, and, and so I, I got it on, on vinyl, and I've been listening to either side of it, and I got a copy from my dad, who was who I learned, mm. you know, about the Allman Brothers from, yeah. and I've been playing it quite a bit. Yeah. Um, kind of underrated, the Allman Brothers. They don't quite get as much respect. Well, as, in, like, in certain yeah. circles, they're, you know, yeah. like everything, but, you know, when the, the, the you know, we yeah. look across vast genres yeah. of music, yeah, I think they do get underrated for their, you know, their, mm. their 
their part in the the American you know rock development. But this is a really incredible. It's and it's wild. It's heavy. It's heavy to hear you know. Um, and then uh, I'm really into Jason Isbell right now mm, and nice. his current uh, album, which I don't know the name of, but uh, um, is a really amazing piece of work. So I'm listening to those two pretty intensely right now. None of bartender Joe or Lee Scott music is rubbing off on you. You don't go home and listen to like <laughs> they, Muddy Muddy Boston's or <laughs> I love Scott music, but I, I just ha- I, I hear enough of it at, uh, at they play these ska covers of like um, you know yeah. oh, tradition. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta say, and this is a little behind my girl. Me. You know, a ska cover of my girl. I always knew the night was over at the restaurant when the music would change and suddenly Joe was playing his music. Yeah. I'm like, oh, here's some punk rock. Yeah, <laughs> I knew yeah. that's over. <laughs> Crazy. Tim, uh, website is taylorandthecook.com. That's where you go for the reservations, open table? or go, You go right to the taylorandthecook.com, you can, and that's the best place to do it, the taylorandthecook.com. You can get reservations right there. Tim, it is always an absolute pleasure to have you Thanks on. So it's much. too long, man. It's good to see you again. And if you had me on more often, we wouldn't talk for 37, 37 minutes. minutes. Hey, listen, I like talking to you. I'd talk I do too. than that if I could. I'm a talker. He runs with these people around here, right? Yeah, Thanks, bud. Thank you. Thank you so much to Tim. And again, just like everybody, I say this all the time. I could have sat and talked to Tim for like another hour and a half, but he had already been working that day and had to go back to work. That's just the kind of guy that Tim is, and uh, I really thank him for coming in. Again, taylorthecook.com. Check it out. Get some reservations. Have you ever eaten in Taylor the Cook? You've probably been there many times, yes? Mm-hmm. You have a tab over there, Heather? No. <laughs> I know some people have tabs over there. No. You know, I've, I worked there for a long enough time. You were but a server once. I was. I yeah. remember that. But I've only actually eaten there on my own accord like one time. I had a great time. You ever actually eaten in Taylor? Never sat for dinner. Um, I've gone to the bar yeah. to have drinks and desserts or like drinks and some appetizers before mm-hmm. on like a slower night, but I've never actually sat for a meal. I stand with the duck. He's a master of the duck breast. I don't know what he does yep. with it. I don't know how Fantastic. he's... It's really totally excellent. Agree. And he even said during the interview, the cheese plate is out of this world. It's one of the best things in the city. I really, really love that cheese plate. I don't work there anymore, so that's not a pitch. I'm just telling you because I really believe it, folks. I'm saying it. All right. Are you guys ready for Sam's Fascination Corner? These are all the things that have fascinated me this week about history. Yes. I'm going to try and cut down my fascinatings this week, okay? okay. I know I say it a lot. Uh, well, it's not fun anymore now that no, you know we're no. tracking it. Yeah, we're no, because I can't. We don't care anymore now. Well, I care. <laughs> I care. Taking all the joy out of it. The joy killer. I continuing my fun streak. Killer. The fun killer. Shout out to GFOP. You know who you are. Uh, he, he knows who he is. Uh, all right. This, week, <laughs> this day, October 16th, 1859, John Brown conducted his raid on Harper's Ferry. Uh, abolitionist John Brown led a small group on a raid against a federal armory in Harpersbury, Virginia, now West Virginia, in an attempt to start an armed slave revolt and destroy the institution of slavery. Um, John Brown is one of my favorite. John Brown's great. He's a great history deep dive. If you're ever looking for a great artist, he's 
Again, can I say it? I'm going to use my one. He's infinitely fascinating. Oh, my God. Uh, I'll give you a quick rundown, though. Uh, born in Connecticut in 1800, raised in Ohio, uh, he came from a staunchly Calvinist and anti-slavery family. Uh, in 1837, his life changed irrevocably when he attended an abolitionist meeting in Cleveland, during which he was so moved that he publicly announced his dedication to destroying the institution of slavery. Uh, he had lots of events, but on this particular night, on October 16, 1859, uh, Brown and his band overran the arsenal at Harper's Ferry, um, they held it for three days before the, uh, on October 19th, when it was overrun by soldiers led by Colonel Robert E. Lee. Um, ten of his men were killed, and he was uh, tried for treason and murder and found guilty on November 2nd. So, it's a crazy story about John Brown. Worth, I'm surprised they haven't made a better movie about John Brown. Like, some sort of, like, when they made that terrible Matthew McConaughey, The Free State of Jones, when I watched that trailer, I was like, are they making a John Brown movie? Uh, no, they did not. I was disappointed. <laughs> All right, moving on. On this day, October 18th, 1867, uh, United States formally took possession of Alaska after purchasing the territory from Russia for $7.2 million. That's less than two cents an acre. What a steal. Uh, Russia wanted to sell the Alaska territory, which was remote, sparsely populated, and difficult to defend, uh, rather than risk losing it to battle to a rival such as Great Britain. Uh, much like any... Like moment, like I remember Erie Canal is kind of similar. People were not on board with this initially. Uh, they referred to Alaska as Seward's Folly, or which I think is hilarious, Andrew Johnson's Polar Bear Garden, which I think I should go back to. I think that should have been the state name, the Polar Bear Garden. Um, well, not anymore. They don't have polar bears up that's there. That's true. They're, they're, no, that's, that's a shame. Uh, so public opinion of the purchase didn't turn until uh, 1896 when gold was discovered in a tributary in the Klondike River sparking a gold rush, which I assume is probably the reason that Russia is still pissed they sold it to us. <laughs> and this is going to get real dark here. If we ever go to war with Russia, Alaska is going to be a dark place to be. I get scared about my conspiracy theories about that. Doesn't seem like a place you want to be if we ever go to war with Russia. Just saying. That's all. Um, I'd like to hear more about that off the air. Yeah, I would too. I you ever watch that Vice about the Coldest War, about them fighting for the land? And oh, we'll get into that. It's something else. That's a whole other thing. Uh, today, Alaska became the 49th state on January 3rd, 1959, and is now recognized for its vast natural resources. 25% of America's oil and over 50% of its seafood comes from Alaska. The name Alaska is derived from an uh, Alouette word, uh, Alyeska. What do you guys think it means? What? What do you think Alaska means? <laughs> What's that root from? Inuit. What do you think it means? Like a ah. fish. A fish. That's, That's what I got. My mountains. <laughs> it means, are you ready for this? Great land. Oh. So there you go. The great land. <laughs> would you ever go, would you go to Alaska? I'd like to go to Alaska. I would I love to go to Alaska. I had a friend who went to Alaska. She loved it. Yeah? Yeah, she went there for a vacation. Hmm. I would like to go on one of those Alaskan cruises. Remember we were talking about cruises? Yes. Alaskan no, cruises would be all no. right. Cold mm. water you're not in the water to cruise. The boat. I'll be worried the boat would shrink. Like, shrink? shrink. <laughs> the boat's going to shrink? Sink. <laughs> this is the last one in the 1800s. Yeah. This is October 18th, 1890. Uh, and topical, I suppose. U.S. takes control of Puerto Rico. Only one year after Spain granted Puerto Rico self-rule, American troops raised the U.S. flag over the Caribbean nation, uh, formalizing U.S. authority over the island's one million inhabitants. Um... 
In the first three decades of its rule, the U.S. government made efforts to Americanize its new possession, including granting full U.S. citizenship to Puerto Rico in 1917, uh, considered a measure that would make England the island's official language. Uh, however, during the 1930s, there was a big nationalist movement that happened in Puerto Rico, uh, and further U.S. assimilation was successfully opposed. Uh, in 1952, Congress approved a new Puerto Rican constitution that made the island an autonomous U.S. Commonwealth, uh, Commonwealth with its citizens retaining American citizenship. Uh, there have been attempts to change this, but they keep getting voted down. Most Puerto Ricans seem to enjoy their status, it seems like, as a commonwealth. Uh, I don't have a That's funny... The, the Puerto Ricans, the last three elections, have overwhelmingly voted in a majority up past 80% for statehood. Oh, really? They've oh. been wanting to be statehood for almost 30 years now, but they never get certified because everybody's afraid of all those scary brown folks voting Democrat. Mm. And so they don't add them in, and there's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff to it. But these people overwhelmingly want to be a state, which makes it an important time to point out that American citizens are still dying in Puerto Rico every single day and need help. So send a little bit of money or anything. They don't they don't have water to drink. They can't have the hospitals running. If you've got a couple extra bucks, send it to them. They need it, and they're not getting what they need from the federal government, no matter what these people tell you. Uh, if you're looking for a couple places, redcross.org, and one that uh, was set up by the First Lady of Puerto Rico, uh, unidosporpuertorico.com. That's uh, directly set up by the First Lady, so let them know that we have not forgotten about them and what's going on down there. All right, moving on. And this day in 1931, Al Capone. Didn't you just say the last one was the last yeah, one? Yeah, Last that. one in the 1800s. I have oh, three more. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Al Capone goes to prison on this day in 1931. Uh, gangster Al Capone is sentenced to 11 years in prison for tax evasion, uh, fined $80,000, signaling the downfall of one of the most notorious criminals of the 1920s and 1930s. Uh, he earned his nickname Scarface after being sliced across the cheek during a fight when he was 14. If you ever wanted to learn a fact about him that way. Uh, he was at the top of the FBI's most wanted list by 1930, but he avoided long stints in jail until 1931 by bribing city officials, as you do, intimidating witnesses, and maintaining various hideouts. Um, so maybe it's just because I'm Italian. There was definitely a weird moment in my life where I thought it would be cool to be a mobster, right? I think that comes with, like, any... Yeah. yeah like, no. I know it's terrible. <laughs> no, not you. There was never a moment... You're not intrigued by crime. There was never a moment when you were like, I could be dope to be a criminal. I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna pretend to be 20 miles away from that concept <laughs> ideologically. Like it's oh, now that I have perspective, I could never ever think about it. Eh, I can think about it. It's okay. I can think about it. <laughs> I can think. I think because when you're a little Italian kid and you like you're forced to watch like Goodfellas and Casino, you're like, did someone in my family do this? Is like, is this part of my heritage? That's one of the funny things about growing up in Utica is every single Italian kid you know is like, oh, just so you know, my grandpa was in the mob and oh, I could yeah, totally have somebody killed. Like, <laughs> like little ham sandwich nerds on the playground <laughs> in sixth grade. <laughs> uh, on this day, October sixteenth, nineteen fifty-eight. Uh, Chevrolet begins to sell a car-truck hybrid that it refers to as the El Camino. How familiar are you guys with a Chevy El Camino? It, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know what they are. Combination sedan pickup truck was built on an Impala body, uh, and it was called one of the most beautiful things that's ever shouldered a load in the ads that trumpeted its arrival. What are your thoughts on the El Camino? Into it. They talked about bringing it back in both 1999 and 2010, but they did not because, well, Pontiac and Chevy have not been doing as great as they were back then. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't, again, I don't have any funny thoughts about it. I've never driven one. I had a friend who was restoring one all through like high school. 
They are kind of, I. they're not cool, no. but they're kind of cool, right? It's that one of those weird sort of half and half. We're, we're at this point where cars like that are old enough that if you see one, like, clean and running, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. in good shape, it's cool to see something that old no matter what it is. And I think they have become cooler than they were in, like, an ironic retro sense. Like, I feel like if I lived somewhere where I lived near a beach or something like that, I could probably get into the El Camino lifestyle if it's like a nice, cleaned up classic car. Sure. Yeah, because it looked looked sharp it was nice. (laughs) If it's it's all rusty, it's always going to look like crap, right? Uh, I don't, again, I'm just going to quick shout out to my buddy, Jason Ramirez, the man behind El Jefe's food trucks. Uh, When we were in Ed Hinko baseball together, shout out to Ed Hinko baseball, the Mets, uh, Jason was the pitcher and I was the guy on the bench who would come up with nicknames for people on the team because I was bad at sports, right? I couldn't play, but I was a glue guy. I'm a character guy. You know what I mean? I'm here to lift the spirits of the team. Intangibles. Intangibles. Yeah, it's all about intangibles. Locker room guy. <laughs> and so I came up with the nickname for Jason, El Camino. I was calling him El Camino when he was in the mound. And his dad said, why are you calling him that? And I was like, because he's the engine of this team. And he carries us on his flatbed. And his dad thought that was great. El Camino. Jason Ramirez. Of course, if you guys know Jason, he has a real nickname that people have been calling him for years, just Tank. So it's hard to get another nickname on that kid. He's already got like a nickname which is pretty definitive. So. It's going to be funny. One of his friends says, I'm like, remember that Sam Familaro kid? Yeah, he talked about you for a long time on his podcast this week. Me, we it talked about weird. him. I talked about him and Nick Briggs, too. He's a very popular comic discussion. Jason Ramirez, how are you, buddy? Nice guy. GFOP Tank. Um, and let's get into the last one. You ready for this one? Uh, October 18th, 1977, Reggie Jackson hits three home runs in three swings in the sixth game of the World Series against the Los Angeles Dodgers uh, to lead the Yankees to their first World Series since 1962. Uh, my dad is a huge Yankee fan. I don't know, you got Yankee fan story? I went to, no, I just went, I went to the old Yankees stadium once. Did you enjoy your time at old Yankee stadium? No, it was like 85 degrees out and I was right in the sun the whole time. I didn't enjoy it. Talking Baseball is our new segment. <laughs> um, so, a couple things I thought were interesting. My dad loved Reggie Jackson. Uh, no one had ever actually achieved what he did, even Babe Ruth at the time, which was to hit three home runs in three swings during a game and also five home runs in all the series. Uh, Reggie Jackson, who was well-known for being, like, a madman who would just say whatever he wanted, was actually uncharacteristically modest when he said, Babe Ruth was great. I'm just lucky, which is kind of off-brand for a guy who called himself the stir that straws the drink, which is such a great nickname. Not the best nickname he ever had. The stir. The, the straws. The straws. The, drink. the straw that stirs the drink. I knew. I it. saw Heather look right at me and be like, "Are we gonna, are we gonna address this? <laughs> no, we're we gonna do this. Do you want to?" Well, I was gonna say it's not even the best nickname he ever had. Give me a better sports nickname than Mister October, which is the name he received for this. Mister November. Mm, it's close. It's close. Mr. October. I want you guys to start calling me that. Mr. No. October. No? No. Does no. magic count? Because magic is pretty good. Magic's pretty good. Magic's pretty good. It's not Mr. Magic, though. Mr. Magic. I just transcended to the point where people think it's the man's name. What about Doctor? Dr. J. Julius Irvin. Maybe. A lot of doctors, though. He was the first doctor. All no. Right. no. All right. I don't know. All right. Uh, moving on. That's it. We've, hist- we've finished history lessons. Oh. I feel good. Heather, you actually brought a story for me today. You wanted to talk about the Boy Scouts, did you not? Oh, yeah. Mm. I didn't bring the story. Well, go ahead and talk about the Boy Scouts. (laughs) Go ahead, talk about the Boy Scouts. I just have a headline. (laughs) No, I read that um, they want to have girls 
join the Boy, um, Boy Scouts. Well, I think just the Eagle Scouts set yeah, the story. Yeah. Yeah. So. Do you know anyone who's an Eagle Scout, by the way? No. I know, like, one person who's an Eagle Scout, and I've never seen him do anything particularly campy or, like, fire. He's a doctor now, so it didn't seem to do much for him. Kev, do you have any Boy Scouting experience growing up? Tons. How far did you get? Uh, I wasn't an Eagle Scout, but I got, like, some badges. I was a full-fledged Boy Scout. <laughs> I didn't see it all the way through to Eagle Scout because it just became too much of a demand on time that I didn't really have as you start to hit like 14, 15, 16 and you sort of age out of it. Yeah, I know what you mean. I'm um, actually, I need to pull up of the Boy Scout ranks. Hang on one second. I want to see how far I made it. Heather, you were, you said you were a brownie, which is what yeah, the Yeah, I made it to the brownie, but I wanted to be a Cub Scout when I was little because they did cooler Cub things. Cub Scouts are tight. They had the great tiger logo. Yeah, they did cooler things than we did. We made mm-hmm. friendship bracelets and yeah. cookies. And it was boring. I, I think I wanted it to be cooler. Like, the idea of being a Boy Scout was really cool at the time, but I don't know. I wasn't very handy. Do you mean I wasn't? <laughs> there are three things. There are primarily three things I remember about Boy Scouts. One, as I said earlier to you guys, popcorn, selling the popcorn, because the whole point was to get something out of that catalog if you sold enough popcorn. And everybody at that time, again, this is the 90s, guys, wanted a Swiss Army knife. Like, that was the thing. Like, oh, dude, be dope if I had a Swiss Army knife. And then the I always wanted the weird stuff out of that catalog. I had a lot of knives when I was a kid. Sure. So I always wanted like weird things in the catalog that was different stuff I'd never seen before. By the way, I think they changed the names of all these Boy Scout ranks because I don't remember any of these. I was not a tenderfoot at any point in time. I feel like I was a wolf and a cub and a weebelo. Yeah, is that not a thing yeah, anymore? No, the weebelos for the weebelos. Weebelos. Yeah, I know those. They're not there anymore. Maybe, yeah, that's weird. I'm going to call the Boy Scouts and complain about it. I know this. why they get rid of it. Well, do you, I think you're just looking at, at scouting. At just scouting in general? No, you're looking at, like, Boy Scouts. Like, all that stuff is below Boy Scouts. That's before oh, you get yeah, to yeah, Boy yeah. Scouts proper. So I never even made the Boy Scouts yeah, proper. God. Can I say yeah. my Boy one... Scouts proper is when you switch to those bum-ass tan shirts. Mm. And you get the plaid neckerchief instead of the, the frosty baby blue or gold one. <laughs> yes, it's true. <laughs> baby blue is the neckerchief of the Weebelows. Did you, you, so you didn't make it far enough to sell cookies? No, I stayed, I don't know. Never sold the cookies? No, nope. it's just as a daisy and then a brownie. You're like a hiking person. You're like an outdoors person. I feel like you'd be a good, like... It wasn't, they were Yeah, but in, but in her Scouts time, the Girl Scouts weren't doing we cool stuff We weren't doing things like that. Like the Cub Scouts were. That's they were like learning how to bake cookies and yeah, like, be and in the kitchen. Yeah, and making friendship bracelets. Really? And, yeah, it wasn't like, like that. Homec. Yeah, it was like home yeah. And we sang songs huh. and we did things like that. But my stepbrothers were doing cool things and mm-hmm. I wanted to do them. So. See? Now you can, apparently. You can join the Eagle Scouts. <laughs> I, mean, I enjoyed Boy Scouts, <laughs> but I remember when I was in Boy Scouts, I all the kids that were in Boy Scouts were... <sighs> bros? No. Douches? No, I would have I would have loved the bros and the douches to have joined me. Nerds? No. Bad. They're bad kids. Nerds. Yeah, no. Nope. Never. Never. No bad kids at no, all. They were all word. like... They were all just like the quiet, shy nerds, oh. and they weren't like super fun to hang out with. Everybody was weird and awkward, and they weren't into any of the stuff that I liked mm. at all. So I was kind of odd man out, and so yeah. I stopped and went to go play basketball in the neighborhood with my friends instead. Quick shout out to GFOP and Utica's favorite bartender, Mike McNamara, whose dad was our sc- uh, scout leader and whose house we used to go to for scout meetings. So oh, there you go. Thanks, Mr. McNamara. Good guy. <laughs> Uh, and I, I gotta mention one last thing while we're before we get off Boy Scouts. The single number one most important reason that I wanted to be a Boy Scout, so I liked Boy Scouts, the Pinewood Derby, which is the coolest thing that I ever did. That's when you make the little wooden cars and you race mm-hmm. them. You oh, guys, cool. That was like the highlight of my Boy Scouting <laughs> life. I would come up, my dad was like, because your parents would cheat for you mm-hmm. if your parents were unethical enough as mine. Like my dad would like design the car for me to make it aerodynamic. I never won anything, it didn't make a difference. 
But uh, I won. I won two of the years. I advanced to the next uh, tournament. I still have my Pinewood Derby cars. Do um, you? Yeah, I do. Uh, I advanced I to like some so to like the next level of the tournament where oh. you go on like a special day and travel yeah. the states. And it was uh, it was a lot, man. Because once you get all those kids into a place and like you're just standing and waiting for your race, you're like this is dumb. It's like pretty- it was just kind of like it was like this is boring because you're there and you've got your car. It doesn't take long to race it down the thing, and so like. You go, you have a couple of races, but you're standing around for like six hours. And that's when I was kind of like, ah, this is, all my friends who aren't Boy Scouts are just hanging out, like, <laughs> doing fun stuff. And I'm in here stuffed into this gym in like, I like Arondacoit, New York. And I'm just like, in some sweaty basement gym with a bunch of, like, herbs just rolling wooden cars down the track. I, I think the, my success in the Pinewood Derby was when I started falling out of the Scouts, I think. Yeah. I'd be good at it now, I feel like. I'd make a great Pinewood Derby car now if you give me the time. Would you? Watch Would it. you pick up whittling that nobody knows about? Whittler, you don't know about What's me. your basis? I have more knowledge. Do you want to do, should we do a Uticast Pinewood Derby race? Oh. Buy three kits online and we can race all three of our cars? I mean, we should see if we can get people to fill out a tournament. I was talking Should we have a real life Pinewood I mean, Derby tournament? The Uticast Pinewood, oh. Do you know where they used to, to have the bed races this. in Utica? The bed races, yeah. that seems that dangerous. Means, I feel like I'd hurt myself. Come back again. Didn't they used to do that for Utica Monday night when they'd block yeah. off the middle of Genesee Street yeah. there in front of like, the Radisson? And they would, the people that would have their bices and they, but bice, wow. That's bices? They would, I can't talk to I'm going to write this down. Pinewood Derby and uh, bed races, two things that we can pitch Parkinson on making Utica. I think the making, bed races have to come do. back again. Bed races, Pinewood Derby. All right. You guys want to move on to our next, our next section, what I'm calling the teacher's corner. You ready for this? I don't know. I'm coming up with titles for all these segments now. I'm trying to come up with titles. Teacher's corner. No good. I, we already have the tech corner. I guess we can't I call like it. Corner. I just appreciate you coming up with something that's so relatable for me and Heather. Go ahead. Okay. Well, this is very relatable for you because this is one of your favorite books of all, all my time. teaching. Oh, jeez. Um, iconic enduring legacy of banning to kill a mockingbird is back as another school district this week. Public school district in Biloxi, Mississippi. Uh, did not specify which words exactly in To Kill a Mockingbird were so objectionable. I bet I know which one. I bet you I know which ones they were, too. Are so objectionable that the book was yanked from an 8th grade reading list last week, 57 years after it was published. Uh, the quote from school board president Kenny Holloway was, There's some language in the book that makes people uncomfortable. I made up that. I don't know if that's what he sounds like. Um, th- again, this is sort of a recurring thing that happens a lot. Like This is one of the most banned books of all time i would say uh and again the word in question the n-word which is used in conversation uh specifically by harper lee at the time to shadow the imagery of that time and that place um it appears about 50 times in the book and almost always in dialogue the book also won the pulitzer prize for fiction i have a hard time like arguing against teaching it it's an important book kev this is like one of your favorite books of all time yes does this bother you or are you sort of used to this by now um, it doesn't bother me in the sense that I don't really give these people much mental real estate, like these hysterical parents who have gotten pulled for in one small school district for one year before it gets turned back like it always does. Um, but I think it does open up to a larger conversation about, I mean, it, if you want to say that this book is going to have a negative effect on children because of those words that are written in it, you're either um, being willfully dishonest or you're illiterate and you can't read yeah genuinely like if you read the book and you come off thinking that it's gonna make if you think you can read that book and it's gonna turn any one person coming out of reading that book and make them anything but less racist they were when they started Mm -hmm. you haven't read the book or you don't know how to read 
And I think it's interesting that the people are so worked up about this word appearing a couple times in the book in the context it is and never really disparagingly by people that are held up as good people in the book, ever. Yeah. Um, but you're also, I mean, you're talking about one of the central plots of the book is about a father raping his own daughter. Yes. Like, that's the thing that happens. Nobody's outraged about that, but they're outraged about this word. Like, the people in Biloxi, Mississippi are really going to convince me that they think the word is so bad and racism so awful. I'm glad you said I it. think that's intellectually dishonest. I'm glad you said scam. that. Well, it's interesting because the first time this book was banned, officially, uh, was in Hanover County, Virginia, in 1966 for that exact reason. Because, quote-unquote, because the plot centered on rape. Uh, however, Harper Lee, at the time, responded to them. Uh, and this is what her quote was. Uh, what I've heard makes me wonder if any of its members can actually read, unquote. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird spells out in, in words of seldom more than two syllables a code of honor and conduct, Christian in its ethic, that is a heritage to all Southerners. That was her quote. So, again, she understood what was going on. I want to share this horrendous story with you guys that I found when I was reading this, okay? So this is an example in 2004 when a student got the book banned from his school, Okay. This student uh, listened to his classmates read the book aloud, and he claimed that it made him uncomfortable, right? So the next day, the kid makes a t-shirt covered in words from the book, the N-word and its many 1930s-era derivatives, and wore it to his English class, quoting, if it's good enough for the book, it's good enough for the shirt. Unquote. Uh... Nah, that's not that's not exactly how that works. But I thought that was outrageous. Breaking news, 13-year-olds are idiots. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking his parents have something behind this, too. <laughs> to, well, to some degree. I mean, it... it's, it's wild. I thought that was a wild, wild story. Uh, one last quote that I thought was interesting. Uh, Silence doesn't make us smarter. A classic is something that makes us uncomfortable because it talks about things that matter. Exactly. But that was a great quote. Say. That was from James Leroux. Um, yeah, your education's supposed to be uncomfortable. Uh, you're supposed to be pushed out in that kind of territory. That's sort of the whole point. Mm -hmm. um, I do think it's an important book. It is one of my favorite books. Um, and I think everybody should read it. I've read it a bunch of times. I've read it a lot. Um, and I will say, anybody who listens to the show and listens all the time, if you send me a direct message on Twitter, I will send you a copy of that book for Christmas. Because I have tons. I can't promise it will be in great condition. I buy it anytime I see it in a second-hand store, and I give them away all the time. I would love to give them to the listeners, so DM me on Twitter. Uh, besides you, Heather, because you're blocked, so you'll have to make other arrangements. Yeah. And I will <laughs> mail you a copy of To Kill a Mockingbird for Christmas if you promise me that you will read it. Have you read the book, Heather? Uh, no. You ever seen the movie? No. The movie is actually a very good... It's it a great, great movie. It was great. Uh, I, and the only reason this bothered me is because during the summer program this year when I was working, uh, I had to fill up three days of content for the kids in the summer. I had to come up with three days of lesson. And I used To Kill a Mockingbird. I showed them the movie in over three days, and we broke it down, and we discussed some of the parts of it. And, you know, the movie itself is a little dry for the first half an hour. It's like scene building in the world and just the kid kind of being obnoxious. Um, but once it got into the courtroom stuff and the actual meat of the movie and the, and the story, the kids were captivated by it. They really, really enjoyed it. So it's not like the, the, the narrative of this book does not present itself to a modern audience still. Like, the themes in it are still valid today, and the kids understood it, and I thought it was important. And I'm glad that they got to, to watch it. I'm glad that I showed it to them. Come at me, Biloxi, Mississippi. Come at me, brah. Okay. Um, it did make me curious about which other books had been, uh, had been getting banned a lot. Uh, so I pulled up a list. These are the top 100 banned and challenged books since 2000, okay? 
I'm just going to throw a couple at you guys, and if you have any thoughts on them, let me know. What do you think number one is, by the way? It's kind of obvious. One of the most popular books series in the world. I'll pass, but I know where you are. I don't know. It's about a magician? A boy magician? No. Are you kidding me? I'm, I'm brain... I'm gentleman brain. named Harry Potter. Oh. Are you familiar with him? Right. Number one most banned book series. Uh, number five, uh, Of Mice and Men by John Steinbeck. Never read it. Uh, six, I know what... I read Of Mice and You never read Mice and no. Men? I read that and you didn't. It's so it's short. Like in like sixth grade. It's what, literally like 96 for? pages. Because yeah. people are dumb. Mm. Uh, it's I know, actually a good book for people to read. Yeah. It's actually good. I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, My Angelou. That's number six. What? Here's an interesting one I found at number seven. Do you remember Scary Stories by Alan Swartz? Yeah, those, those books were the best. Yeah. <laughs> they got banned because of the horrifying animations. Yeah, that's why they got horrifying. I love those books. The illustrations, yeah, they were great. Yeah, Scary Stories Tell in the Dark and even more Scary Stories Tell in the Dark. Aww. Look that one up. Uh, number ten, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, which everyone was reading in high school but I never actually read. Mm-hmm. Um, Huckleberry Finn, number 14. Catcher in the Rye, 19. Catcher in the Rye should be banned for being a snooze fest. Yeah, it's a little... <laughs> uh, I've read that book a bunch, and I, I, man, I try to pretend to like it for a little bit of time, but Catcher in the Rye is kind of a snooze fest this many years later. Yeah. I can see it having an effect for certain people at a certain age, but I also think that it's a little bit rudimentary at a certain point in today's society, too. Mm. But, you know... This one's really so close to my heart. It's a children's book that my mom used to love as a kid called In the Night Kitchen by Maurice Sendak. It's about a little kid who has a dream that he's going through this kitchen, this imaginary kitchen bakery. And it's banned because some of the like, artwork portrays the kid as naked and you can see his little penis. And that's the reason that they banned it. <laughs> it's a really straight, it's a weird reason to ban the book and it's a weird idea to put it in the book in the first place. But I loved that book when I was a kid. It's awesome. Uh, sorry about that. Moving on. Uh, British Terabithia, number 28. I've talked really? about this before. I That's guess it's... a good book to read, I feel too. like, why do you ban I don't know a damn thing about British Terabithia, besides that it, it's a great like, book. It's title. It's a great it's book. All yeah, it's a good book. It's not Narnia, is it? About the same... No. no totally. Same it's... Narnia. No. Like you know what? The movie that they made about British Terabithia led people to believe that it was similar to Narnia. They tried to play that up more for the movie. Though. It has very little to do with any of that. I'd like to go on the record and state that uh, the whole Narnia thing is a scam. Not in any of those books, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, any of that stuff. I read the first one a lot. Oh, boy. Try going a to Catholic lot. school. They'll shove that right down your throat. Mm. Number 36, Brave New World. I've talked about it many times. My favorite book. And I guess that's pretty much it. Although, number 99, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, I thought was kind of odd by Judy Bloom. You ever read that one? Mm. And number 94, the entire Goosebumps series. So there you go. Bam. Shout out. <laughs> All right. Let me see. Pass me that list while you're talking. I'm going to scan it. See you want to scan the list? To me. I'll let yeah, just a little bit of scan. I'll let you move along. We're doing some scanning. All right. And last but not least, folks, uh, today we're going to talk about some famous Uticans. Uh I found a list earlier this week um, when I was talking to our GFOP, uh, Justin Parkinson, about TV and uh, TV and film producer and director Stephen Brill, who directed Heavyweights and or, uh, Mighty Ducks. He's from Utica. We got in the list about famous Utica people. So I thought it'd be interesting to discuss a couple of them with you guys. You guys ready for this? I'm ready. So there is a portion of this which is 19th century or earlier, and we're not going to know any of them, but a lot of these people are just, a lot of the streets you see on here are named after these people. Roscoe Conkling, uh, James Schoolcraft Sherman, Horatio Seymour, Benjamin Walker, Revolutionary War soldier who lived here for the last 20 years. But let's get into the 21st century, shall we? All right. What are your thoughts <laughs> on Joe Bonamassa? That's your guy. I didn't know. <laughs> People love Joe Bonamassa. 
Joe Bonamassa's father, Lenny, is a nice enough man. Um, he's a little bit too in league with Sunderland for me to fully trust him. But, uh, Joe Bonamassa, from what I hear, is kind of a weird guy. He's a great guitar player, but I hear he's kind of weird. And he, man, he really doesn't go out of his way to show too much love to where he's from. Uh, you're not from Memphis, no matter how hard you try. Mm. Or wherever the hell else you want to be from, you're from here, so just own it. Uh, but he's fine. Uh, Dick Clark lived briefly in Utica and began his television career here, hosting a country music show on WKTV. I'm sure they let you know about that all the time. I'd have to check. WKTV. I I would if I were them. Uh, How about Fran Cosmo and Tommy DiCarlo from the band Boston? Remember when we saw them at that one show in Rome? Yes. We saw them at a show in Rome and we... We're kind of... Were we heckling them? I spent three hours in the car with Frank Cosmo one time. He's a weird guy. <laughs> He's a weird guy. Here's one that gets thrown around a lot. Annette Funicello, actress and singer born in Utica in 1942. She was on the Mickey Mouse Club, and she poked mild fun at the city in her song, The Promised Land, saying that she moved from Sin City in the East to the City of Angels. People love her, though, around here. She's a huge star. I don't think, I, do they? I don't, yeah. A certain I don't think generation does. I was going to say, maybe a certain generation Yeah, a certain generation that's in the ground. I don't know how many of those people even left that remember. <laughs> and that food and a long time ago. So, uh, Mo, the band Mo, obviously, from yeah. here. Nice. Uh, great Tiff- guys. Great guys. Love the guys from Mo. Really nice guys. Tiffany Pollard from I Love New York. Which people, for some reason, here. She's from, oh, she's from Utica, yeah. yeah. That's right. Uh, in the sports world, she we was had. Out at, uh, she was out locally a couple nights ago. I see her. Out, out on the scene, yeah. Uh, really stretching those minutes. I mean, she, I don't know if she still got the minutes, but... In the sports world, Dave Cash, uh, former Major League Baseball infield, infielder, three-time All-Star. Rob Esch, he's still around. You've heard of him. Mark Lemke, there's a name he gets thrown around a lot. Will Smith, shout out to Will Smith, RIP. Will Smith. Oh, guy. man, I kind of forgot that Will Smith died until yeah, you said sad, that. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, it is. My stepdad loved him. He was one of his teachers. Great dude. Uh, and Andy Van Slyke, another former baseball, uh, baseball player. Art Mills who was a former baseball pitcher and coach, actually won a World Series. He's from Utica in 1945 with the Dodgers. But here's the real crux. There are two fictional characters who have been portrayed on popular television shows over the years who are from Utica, New York. Can you name either one of them? Popular characters from television shows that have been long-running that we've both watched. I'll give you one. You ready for one? It's Karen Filippelli from The Office. Oh. She was the manager of the Utica branch of Dunder Mifflin uh, for at least three episodes of that show. Is that where she was like from from, though? That's what it claims in here. I don't know. I have to do deeper research. Interesting. Uh, but the other one, he's from The Simpsons. Do you know this one? One of them. Superintendent Chalmers from The Simpsons uh, is from Utica on the show. Matter of fact, Simpsons has a lot of references to Utica on the show. And we'll close with a final trivia question for you guys. In The Simpsons, there is a hockey team in Utica and an arena in Utica they play for. Would either of you guys like to know what it is or take a guess at what the team name was or what the arena is called? I don't know. <laughs> okay, you ready for that? No. In The Simpsons universe, the Utica hockey arena is called the Kill Quick Rat Poison Arena. <laughs> which nice. That was hilarious. And the team is the Utica Mohawks. The Utica... Mohawks, which I assume is a is a mix of Mohawk and Hogs, right? But it sounds the like. Mohawks. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. I gotta say, I sent a message to the comments 
from our Twitter thing a couple of days ago asking when we're getting Utica Mohawk throwback jerseys, and they did not respond to me. I'm kind of curious. <laughs> Where's my Mohawks throwback? I kind of like that name. What a world that we can no longer get instant responses from Utica Comets social I media. I guess because we're not being incendiary anymore and like calling them out on stuff, because they used to be really happy to reply to anybody. Yeah, I don't they know. did. No. Things change, I suppose. Yeah, I guess they do. Different world. Bring back the Mohawks. Do. How about them? give it up for the Bring Mohawks? Bring back the Mohawks. I'd go watch him play. Leave Caswell where he is. <laughs> Folks, uh, thank you for joining us. Episode 121. Um, yeah, I don't really have any outros this week, I Nothing. guess. Just uh, keep it tight, you know. Oh. Sayonara, humanoids. <laughs> Woodstock lives. Uh, What's the matter, Heather? I don't know. Mm. The whole tight thing. I gotta teach you keep. I'll show you where keep it tight's from later. Okay. It's funny. Gross. You'll like it. <laughs> no, it's no, it's from an internet video. Oh, don't worry. I'll show you later. Zach, no, it's nothing like that. I promise. <laughs> Slide into my DMs if you want to kill a mockingbird for Christmas. Slide. I'm dead serious. Unlike Sam's uh, sandwich lies that I made up for him. Put some baloney in the book.